I'm Robbie Boundy, founder of Space Impulse. Hi, my name is Echo-Jan van der Veen. Uh, I'm head of strategy and managing director for OGB Venture Capital. I'm Ken Eppens, founder and CEO of Orbit Guardians. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. For me, specifically for my team, a typical problem there would be um, if uh, an equipment is not really uh, working as it should. I would say one of the days that was uh, I was really worried was uh, we had a problem with uh, with the antenna, and since we only had uh, one antenna, so we had to get it <laughs> fixed uh, quite fast. But we, like I said before, we had one we lost one satellite, mm-hmm. and this is a really a very stressful moment when it when it happened you don't want it to happen nobody right. wants it to happen but you learn a lot this is the moment mm-hmm. to learn most welcome back to the cold star project the podcast about the unexpected challenges of scaling space companies and i'm here with eldridge DeMello. he's from angola and he is uh, right now he's in i think the toulouse france area welcome yeah, yeah. Uh, he's an expert on ground station operations, so I was super excited to get him on because uh, about four or five months ago, I woke up one day and realized I don't know anything about that particular topic, and I really should. So we're going to fill in a lot of gaps here, and hopefully this will be quite an educational and entertaining uh, show. So let's begin, I guess, with some so a very straightforward question. It's one that you added to our uh, our Google Doc that I use in prep sure. for these. Uh, what kind of, I guess, uh, profile, look and feel, training does a ground station uh, employee or, or specialist uh, need? Well, uh, mostly uh, from my experience, you run into a lot of people with uh, telecommunications uh, background and uh, mechanical engineering. So um, usually in a ground session, you will have a bunch of guys uh, with different profiles, uh, telecommunication and mechanical engineer, IT as well, and aerospace engineering. So um, the training, after uh, certain people are selected uh, to be part of a ground station crew, they go through an extensive uh, training program. Uh, most of the people from experience, they know nothing about satellite by the time they are, they are selected. So um, you go to an extensive training, uh, learning uh, the architecture of a satellite, how is it divided, you have the platform, you have the payload, the different types of missions, the different types of uh, payloads that you would need. And after that, you are specialized. So you are, your training is more focused on uh, what type of activity you, you'll be doing. Uh, for example, why uh, the type of activities that I do as a non station specialist, um, only involves telecommunication, uh, making sure that uh, uh, we can track the satellites, uh, controlling and uh, monitoring the antennas, all the radio frequency equipments uh, involved in um, sending uh, uh, commands to the satellite and uh, receiving telemetry. Okay, and and so and you're you're getting a master's degree in something right now. Tell us a little bit yes. about that. Well, um, I'm getting a master's degree in. Um, at- space project management which is uh, pretty cool I um, I have a very strong technical background so uh, adding this uh, master's degree into my uh, skill set is very important because I get to understand a lot of decisions that are made uh, I'm an executing guy so I uh, get my orders and I do it so with this master's I get to understand uh, how uh, people make the decisions uh, that we, we have to ex- execute 
pretty cool muscles because um, we get I get to meet a lot of experts uh, in the industry. Uh, mostly since I'm in France, I get to meet a lot of experts from uh, Airbus Defense Space, uh, the CNES, which is the French uh, space agency. And mostly uh, all the French people in the French uh, space sector. So it's very cool. Right, right. Okay, well, I'll have to ask you to connect me up with some later. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. There might, be, there might be some good connections there because I certainly uh, have I'm not sure. met everybody. Despite I'm sure, trying. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, sure, yeah. we started answering this question a little bit in, in uh, your response to the first question, but I want to take a step back out to the big picture view and ask what do we mean by the term ground stations? What's, what's it all about? Well, uh, you have to understand that the, the, a ground station is part of a ground segment. So, in a ground segment, you have the ground stations and you have the control centers and the mission centers, so the mission control centers. Uh, well, the ground stations basically they're just uh, facilities uh, which uh, the main uh, functionality is uh, for communication for the satellite, uplinking uh, data and uh, downlinking data. So uh, sometimes uh, ground stations they will also act as control centers, uh, but most of the times no, they just really act as a relay station so that they can send the, the data uh, back to the mission control center. Because you, you imagine if you, are, you, you have a mission, uh, interplanetary mission, for example, and um, you're out of, your, your antennas on the mission control center, you have no communication with the satellite. So you need the ground station uh, somewhere else uh, on Earth that has a link with this, uh, with this uh, spacecraft or the mission that you're performing. Uh, Okay, and so you need to to keep uh, you communicating with it. Now, now you've got a term in here, or a couple actually, flight director and shift flight director. Oh yeah, <laughs> let's just talk <laughs> yeah. about those two things. How do they fit in? Okay, um, you have to understand the start, the, the structure mm -hmm. of uh, of a ground station team or a mission control team. So this is how it works. You have uh, four teams. The first team. Not really the first, but since it's, uh, it's the team where I, I have experience uh, working in is the ground station team, where we uh, basically, like I said, we take care of all the communication. We uh, monitor the antennas and control them. Then you have the planning team. These guys, they are responsible for uh, making a detailed plan of everything that is done in the mission control center. So you have daily plan, you have weekly plan, monthly plan, and yearly plan. Um, everything that is done in the mission control center is planned. So uh, there's no, you can be a very smart guy, but you're not really, also at times you're not really thinking out of the box. You have to follow a procedure. Um, after that, you have the IT guys. So uh, these guys are responsible for the servers and all the computers. And then you have the flight dynamic guys. Uh, these guys, we call them the ballistic guys. They're the guys that are responsible for uh, determining where exactly on orbit the satellite is. So they do a bunch of uh, calculations. And then on top of that, you have the shift flight directors. So uh, the shift flight directors, they act as a deputy to the flight director because uh, the flight director does not work shifts. So the, fl the flight director is the ma maximum uh, authority inside the mission control center. And he does not work shifts. So usually they work normal uh, working hours. And the shift flight directors, uh, they replace him during the shifts. So, uh, for example, 12-hour shifts, uh, they're always there. 
Okay, so that gives us an idea of how the human resources are laid out and the, the organiza organizational structure. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, you, you work for the, the, uh, an organization in Angola. Tell us about that. Well, I work for the Angolan Space Program. Um, the Angolan Space Program is responsible for uh, developing the space program of Angola. Um, we recently, not so recently, but uh, two years ago, we launched a satellite, a telecommunication satellite uh, uh, that was built by, built by the Russians. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we had a huge uh, failure in orbit. Uh, currently, we are building a second satellite with the Russians for telecommunications, and we have a third one with the French for uh, Earth observation. So um, the Angolan space program has been developing the, our space program for uh, the past uh, 10 years now, and uh, developing uh, ground stations, uh, building mission control centers, training specialists. Uh, we are over 70 specialists right now all uh, trained, uh, certified by uh, the Russian Space Agency. And um, we also have uh, education and outreach uh, programs because it's really important for us to, um, to educate the population on why you need to have a space program. Um, imagine uh, in Africa, with, uh, we have uh, so many problems and then conditions. So you really need a strong outreach program to be able to make the population understand because most people, they don't get it and they don't, they don't understand. I mean, not even in Africa. If you right. go to even uh, developed countries, uh, people will still uh, debate. You can even see the case of uh, the United States. Uh, if you look at uh, how much NASA has as a budget compared to other sectors, it's, it's very right. um, reduced. So it's really important to make people understand why do we go to space? Okay, we go to space because we have these so many problems, which we can actually address them uh, through space technology. For example, in my country, our territory is so vast, it would take us so, uh, it would take us many years and a lot of money to be able to build telecommunication infrastructures. Mm. Uh, so it's much simpler for us to uh, just send satellite space and be able to have communication all over the, the country. Uh, even in the, the remote areas. And for the Earth Observation Satellite, uh, we can use it to monitor our waters because of illegal immigration, right. uh, monitor for um, illegal fishing, uh, our forests, and uh, so many applications. Um, one of the most important for us right now would be for uh, agriculture because we are uh, an economy that depends highly on oil. And with the current state of the market, it's very important for us to start investing on, on other different sectors. And uh, agriculture is one of the sectors that we really want to start investing. And it's, it, with a satellite, it's going to make things so much easier. Right. Well, I don't need to be convinced. <laughs> but yes, the, the monitoring, the communications, the search and rescue stuff, um, yes. all the, all the yes. things. Do you like your GPS? <laughs> all these things yes. that uh, I think a lot of people take for granted or really don't understand where it comes from. Uh, you know, or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. In that. So let's, let's dig into the guts of how uh, ground stations operate. Uh, there are, you've got your antenna, radio frequencies, some, some signal comes in, what happens? Well, okay, uh, the way that the ground stations operates, um, you have the antenna, so uh, for example, 
like I said, you have the daily mission plan mm -hmm. and um, on the daily mission plan, you know exactly at what time uh, commands will be sent to the satellite uh, to do some type of maneuver, housekeeping, uh, to switch off or turn on a certain equipment. And um, so on the ground station, we know when, uh, at what time this, this will be done. And our job is to make sure, my team, the ground team, is to make sure that all the equipments, radio frequency equipments, are ready for that. Um, on your, when you're sending commands, on your uplink, so um, the signal comes out of the modem and it goes into an up converter. So you have a frequency translation. And after that, it goes to a power amplifier because you really need to amplify your power to, to be able to reach in a geosatellite 36,000 kilometers. And, <laughs> and on the way back, um, you need a low noise amplifier, LNA. Um, and after that, you need to don't convert it again. And then the signal goes back into the modem. And then the signal goes uh, to the guys who will be analyzing the um, space, uh, spacecraft data. My team, for example, uh, the type of information that goes through, I have no access. It's of no interest to me. Because my task is really just to make sure that communication is flowing when it has to flow. And you have the mission analysis guys, and these guys are, they understand better the different subsystems of the satellite. They understand better um, the thermal conditions that the satellite has to be, uh, the power uh, that the, the satellite has. So these guys, they'll be analyzing the, the data more uh, deeply. Okay. So really in your role right now, you're looking at the communication like kind of a pipe, whether it's open and flowing exactly. or not. You don't care about exactly. the water inside so much. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, we, that's, that's exactly the word. We, are, we control the pipe, basically. So okay. um, we control the pipe and you have all types of information uh, coming in and uh, going out. We don't care. All we care uh, is to make sure that the pipe is working properly all the equipments in the pipe are working properly and the guys who deal with the data and stuff, it's, they deal with it. Okay. Is that enforced through like security restrictions or just like, well, this is your role you, and that's your operationally defined job? Well, uh, yeah, there's, there's uh, security restrictions. Uh, for example, in the room where I work, uh, mm -hmm. no unauthorized guys are allowed to, mm -hmm. except for the flight director and the shift flight director. So the guys working on different on other teams, they have no access to my room, mm -hmm. and I also have no access to, to the rooms where they, they work. And in terms of the information, so uh, like I told you, when the information uh, is received uh, through the down link transmission mm -hmm. line, so you have the LNA, you have the down converter, and then it goes into a modem, and there's also a bunch of uh, security protocols in there before the guys that have to analyze it get it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, that, <laughs> that encryption makes a lot of sense there. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's hear, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't want to hear about uh, confidential information or anything like that, but I am curious what a typical problem day looks like for the Angle and Space Program Management Office. You know, what, what kind of things get <laughs> your attention? Well, for me, specifically for my team, a typical problem there would be um, if uh, an equipment is not really uh, working as it should. Hmm. On, my, on our workstations, uh, we can analyze the status of uh, uh, an equipment. It's actually uh, quite simple. You have a very interactive 
types of software. So if it's working properly, it's green. If there's a minor error, it's uh, yellow. If it's bad, it's red. So you know, if, if it's red, it's really critical. But most of the equipments, they have redundancy. Mm. So you have a backup in case uh, there's always back backup. Everything related to space is always important. You have backup on ground and background on satellite in space. So a typical problem day for me is not that problematic because uh, usually I just have to switch an equipment and that's it. Um, I would say one of the days that was I was really worried was uh, we had a problem with, uh, with the antenna. And since we only had uh, one antenna, so we had to get it <laughs> fixed uh, quite fast. But um, we, like I said before, we had one, we lost one satellite. Mm -hmm. And this is a really, a very stressful moment. And um, when, it, when it happened, you don't want it to happen. Nobody right. wants it to happen. But you learn a lot. This is the moment mm -hmm. to learn most because before you, uh, when you launch a satellite, most of the malfunctions that I expected to happen, they are planned and you have it on the operational manual. So if this happens to this, if this happens to this, it's all very, uh, it's a sequence uh, for you to take care of things. So the type of um, um, anomaly that we had, it was not planned. Uh, so we, it was uh, usually in these types of situations, um, you have to assemble a team of specialists to try to deal with it. Mm -hmm. If you can't deal with the situation, then you have to hand over to the manufacturers, ah. to the guys who actually built this, uh, the, the subsystems because they understand better the, the spacecraft than us, than, uh, than the operators. Uh, we have a little uh, back and forth with change of information until if it's too bad, it will get to a point where you become useless because uh, you, can actually, you can do nothing. Uh, the manufacturers, they have to take care of the situation and they have to troubleshoot. Mm -hmm. It's a very stressful uh, moment, but you, it's, you really learn a lot. You learn how to deal with these types of, of nominal situations. Hey, this is Jason Kanigan from Cold Star Tech. Thanks for listening in. I'm going to quickly interrupt the interview to talk about a new course I am offering for space startup founders. If you're a space startup founder and eventually you're looking at getting invested in, getting some of that good old venture capital pouring into the system, uh, then you're going to need this because I have done tons of one-on-one -on -one calls with space founders and discovered several consistent things that are just plain missing from their businesses. And uh, these things are so important that every time a VC looks at your pitch, they're going to say, nope, no thanks, bye-bye. And so if you want to avoid that problem from happening and actually get to the promised land of being funded, then sign up. All you have to do is go to this address and drop in your email and sign up for it. It's coldstartech.com SBM. That is for info about the course and the first part of it uh, will be given to you as it comes out. So go check that out. Do it now before you forget <laughs> if you're a space founder. And now let's get back to the interview. What do you feel about the... It feels like a little lack of improvisational ability when you're forced to go to the operations manual and go, well, the procedure's written down on this page. And, and like documenting procedures is a major part of what we do at Cold Star Tech, right? And process improvements. So I, I can't say I hate the idea, but on the other hand, I can see where it limits you creatively. What, yeah. what, do you, what do you think about the, the, where's the boundary on that? And, and how does it affect diagnosis in these emergency situations? Well, uh, I understand that it 
it's necessary uh, because I mean you have a satellite that costs uh, over 100 million dollars mm-hmm. and you need to make sure that nobody is uh, having funny ideas or experimenting so <laughs> you need this guy <laughs> you need this uh, operational procedures but on the other hand I, I feel that if you are somebody with a very creative mind it's a type of work that you will eventually be bored because you you think you you don't think outside of the box hmm. you just follow procedures all the time and even before you follow procedures you have to inform so um before i do anything i have to call the chief director inform him on the situation advise him on the situation and ask permission to follow a procedure hmm. that is on the on the book so it's uh, to me it's 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 a very boring job it's exciting the the learning part it's very mm-hmm. exciting yes it's cool i mean everybody wants to get into the space sector and learn and uh, that's why your your podcast is so important make making space boring because mm-hmm. before you really understand it's so complex in your head you know uh, you, you think when you people think about space and uh, satellites uh, they think that it's way too complex it is complex but it's very simple to understand if we just use a different uh, language uh, that's why for me honestly it's a, a bit of a boring job i've worked on shifts and uh, most of the time nothing goes wrong so <laughs> you are waiting for something to go wrong just to to be in action and, right but, right but it you but on the on the same time you don't want anything to go wrong and that's right. the funny part yeah because I imagine you don't have very long to fix things when something starts going wrong. Um, it's probably different every time, actually. Yeah. It depends on it depends on what, what team you is. are. Yeah. yeah. It depends. It, it depends on what the fault is, if it's critical or or not. But um, most of the satellites now they can also go on safe mode, hmm. so it gives it gives you over twenty four hours uh, to figure things out. So you, you do, hmm. it's stressful, but you do get some time. To get yeah, time. as long as it's not attitude control. <laughs> I think, oh, yeah. Okay. I think that might make it bad <laughs> if it yeah. starts spinning yeah. away somewhere. But yeah, yeah, if the satellite stays where it's supposed to, yeah. uh, just yeah. shuts down. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think you're all right. Yeah, you're actually right. Uh, this yeah. is uh, the example that I gave is mostly for uh, geosatellites. Uh, mm. they, because they fix on the same position and you can like you have the permanent link with them unless right. something really goes wrong. But on the Earth observation satellites where you lose uh, communication with them from time to time, it's really more complex. Okay. Is, is there any part about, uh, speaking of attitude control trajectories and that, is there any part of your role that has anything to do with collision prevention? No, not on my role. Okay. Uh, because I'm working on the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, we have the guys, uh, the flight dynamic guys, and mm-hmm. um, right. they do work on uh, collision prevention. It's, okay. uh, it's a very, it's a very beautiful job and uh, very important as well. So um, we also do a lot of simulations uh, mm-hmm. before anything is done, okay. just to make sure that we mm-hmm. can avoid any type of uh, collision. Before we send commands to the spacecraft, we perform a simulation to see how it's going to perform. And then mm. we do it. Okay. Um, how how did you get into the Angle and Space program? Oh, interesting. Yeah. So a uh, bit of a bit of my background. So I have a background on information uh, system. I had not dreamed 
ever that I would mm. have this opportunity. So um, I've worked in different companies. I uh, when there was a call out for uh, people to join the Angola Space Program, and I uh, signed up. I went through the tests and I got in, and uh, it was a very it was a great moment. Huh. Yeah, 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 I can imagine so. Um, now, it, hmm, you had had you gone to France uh, before that? to for education or had you gotten that all in angola no uh okay my education is mixed it's in angola and namibia okay namibia is like it's a neighboring country to angola uh, my education was mixed and after i finished uh, my university i went back to angola and i think after a year i joined the angola space program okay very very cool uh, let's see. Now, you wanted to talk about the impact of autonomous satellites on ground operators. And, and I'm beginning to see like, okay, yes, you're part operator, part fireman slash field service tech, but in a very limited way, right, with these operational procedures where you're not allowed, you don't have a lot of autonomy or independence on how you're going to solve the problem. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's see these autonomous satellites, I guess, are, there's more and more of them coming. Uh, what do you think the impact is going to be? I think the impact is going to be huge. Uh, I think uh, a lot of uh, specialists will not be doing the job that they're doing right now. Mm. It's a hard thing to talk about it. And uh, most people don't want it. Most people on my position, they don't want to talk about it, but I think it's a reality. Mm. Um, operations is a very cost. It costs a lot. And as usual, in business, we want to cut down costs, first of all. We want to make a profit. And with autonomous satellites, we can cut down on operational costs by uh, having reduced crews. So uh, some tasks that we perform on Earth, satellites will be able to perform them uh, with the implementation of hmm. artificial intelligence. Hmm. There's a lot of... Uh, studies that are being done and a lot of uh, technology that is being developed, which uh, I'm not a, an expert on what really type of satellites we are going to have uh, 20 years from now. But if I had to guess, I think that uh, we would have satellites that uh, communicate with each other, um, relay information between each other, and we would really have like a reduced uh, crew. For example, during my first year of training, for the Angolan Space Program. I had the opportunity to train with uh, an ex-officer from uh, the American Air Force. And he told me that um, when he was younger, he used to, he was able to do the job of three specialists. Hmm. Uh, so imagine, we, we, we're talking about 20 years ago and they didn't have the type of technology on satellites that we have right now or that we are going to have hmm. 10, 15 years from now. So there will be, in my opinion, there will be a huge impact on the number of crew, the number of people that you need to be working on the ground stations. Okay. You've got me thinking about the cost of operating a ground station relative to the cost of the satellites that they're monitoring. And uh, this is an accounting thing. You know, I don't, I don't expect you to have these numbers at your fingertips because we didn't on this part but you know it just really makes me wonder because you've got one ground crew can monitor many satellites yes, uh, yes. facility obviously has a, a cost a hard cost right and then, and then yes. you 
as labor have a cost and the uh, the ground station does have an ongoing cost for maintenance and repair and things like that yeah. um but i'm curious about like what proportion that is of the total cost of the the satellites that it's monitoring because if it's if it's a fraction of like a tiny fraction of it because uh, like for a million dollars a year or two million dollars a year you can get 20 people right you know you could yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can do it you do need the box to put them in with all the stuff the equipment yeah. and that's going to cause also probably uh you know 100 million dollars or something i have yeah. no idea but uh if it's if it's a tiny fraction it's like well why not keep some some labor around but if the satellite is making decisions on its own um, Cold Star is a, a data science company as well. We've got uh, a really good data science and machine learning division, um, especially with uh, uh, optical pattern recognition. That's that's a thing yeah. we're good at because our chief data scientist comes from the fraud prevention world and detection world. Uh, huh, it just makes me wonder, right? If you know, it's like okay. I, well, I think the big takeaway is that. What if there are ground station operators in, in 20 years or whatever, they'll probably be doing different things than they are today. Exactly, exactly. Uh, that's, the thing, that's the thing with machine learning and artificial intelligence. I mean, people will lose jobs, but there'll be new opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, we, we just need to be ready. I mean, this involves um, management right now needs to be looking at that. Okay, mm -hmm. we have these people uh, with us right now. What are they going to be doing uh, 20 years from now? Um, the cost of operation is not really a fraction. It's actually uh, extremely high. Hmm. Okay. It's, 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 I don't have the numbers right now, but yeah. it's, it's, it's really high, the cost uh, for operations. And definitely it's of interest for companies to be reducing on the cost. Mm -hmm. You have uh, not only automation on satellites, but also uh, on ground. Uh, the workstations, they will, they, they will be able to perform the tasks that we do. Uh, for example, if I have to monitor the state uh, of health of our, uh, an equipment to yeah. see, to, weigh, uh, to monitor if it's green, yellow, or red, I mean, even right now, you already have uh, uh, softwares that can do that and notify mm. a human to come right. change an equipment because uh, these events happen from five to five years. So do you really need to have a human uh, sitting? waiting for something mm -hmm. to go wrong five years right. from now. I mean, right. it's the trade-off. So uh, my opinion is that management, they should be looking, okay, what could these people be doing five, 10 years from now when mm -hmm. we um, start implementing more automation? Because it's going to be, it's not even going to be a matter of choice because you have suppliers uh, of your equipment. At some point, your suppliers will no longer be uh, selling uh equipments that don't have that, that type of automation right so yeah right okay are is the angolan government running the space program or have they um contracted it out to private industry for the most part or is it like a total no, mix uh, no it's fully run by the, the angolan government hmm. so um it gives us a lot of uh, flexibility yeah in terms of uh the projects that we are implementing right now Okay. I like this idea of, of uh, the leadership taking responsibility for the fate of its citizens, you know, who are working for this program and thinking ahead. Um, and it's, it's uh, self-serving as well in a good way uh, because yeah. they're going to develop people with the right skill sets and not be stuck with a bunch of folks sitting around 
who have an outdated skill set, right? Yeah. Well, uh, if you if you look if you look at it this way, it's really hard for uh, private companies to get into the space sector, first of all, mm-hmm. and to invest. So uh, usually, it asks for a country to start developing uh, space technology um, using space data. It has the government has to, 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 to give the first uh, kick uh, to put the money on the table first before you start having small companies uh, getting the interest and all that. So it's, it's very important for you to have the government involved first. If you look at all the other countries, this, that's how it's been. I mean, there was no new space uh, before. If, if, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, capital investiture and capability development is. Uh... It's hard to do with small yeah. firms right now yeah. for yeah. space. Is there a technology or a problem-solving system um, that maybe doesn't exist right now that you believe would really help ground station operators? Well, for uh, ground station operators, um, if I wouldn't say that it would really help them, but um, we'll go back to the automation. <laughs> it's what I really believe. It would help management. Uh, mm-hmm. It would help. It, it would help management to just be more effective, more efficient, and more uh, cost friendly. If okay. You know, with more more automation implemented on the on the workstations. Yeah, and, and what will the automation help the flight directors do? Let's say. Well, they. Uh, for example, you can have a system that will notify the flight director if something goes wrong. Um, you can just i imagine that there there should be already people de- developing uh systems like this where they can you will notify whoever has to take decision so um instead of you having 10 guys uh spending a night in the ground station uh you just have automation all over it you have uh, machine learning uh, mm-hmm. artificial intelligence and they can do this job uh, in much better and more efficiently Okay. Yeah. And it kind of feels like the, the doctors that can cover a, a large hospital or multiple hospitals, um, and maybe yeah. they've got a robot going around and it, yeah. it talks to the patients and then determines when uh, actual human MD is needed. Okay. Yeah. Now we've got uh, organizations like uh, the International Telecommunications Union and, and those WRC conferences. And I'm curious about how close attention you pay to those frequency allocations and the, the activities of those kinds of organizations. Well, it's, uh, it's very important to have a link with this or the ITU because before you launch a satellite, you need to have an orbital position and you need the frequency allocation. And these resources, they are not unlimited. So there's a filing process that you have to do uh, with, uh, you have to anticipate this process. You you can't just file for them when you're already building a satellite. Uh, Usually we have a team of experts in uh, telecommunications, Uh, they take care of this. And um, I'm sure that every country has a national institution that also deals with this on a national level. And they also advise and uh, make part of the team that goes into the ITU and files for this orbital position and the, the frequency allocation. Okay. What, what kind of role are you aiming for when you're done with your master's degree? When I'm done for my uh, master's degree, 
I'm aiming uh, uh, for a more uh, management type of role in development, development of uh, space technology, hmm. nano satellites, because uh, that's the future. We uh, will we will have uh, smaller satellites mm -hmm. uh, than we have right now. I mean, they are way too expensive. And with new space, the trend is to make things smaller and more uh, accessible. So I see myself uh, developing uh, nano satellites and uh, technology associated to the new space. Okay. Um, where, where do you think you will do that? Is it with ESA or the Angolan government or you're going to hop over and join the American Space Development Agency somehow? <laughs> How do you think well, you'll uh, do that? I, uh, I have to do this with the Angolan government because uh, I, I have to go back to Angola and support mm -hmm. the development of the Angolan space program. But obviously, in the space sector, collaboration is the most important thing. You Great. have to collaborate. So, yes, you have to collaborate with ESA, NASA. Right now, we are collaborating with the Russians. We are collaborating with the French government. Uh, we need to collaborate with the Chinese as well. I think the Chinese, uh, they are doing amazing things uh, when it comes into space uh, technology. They are developing uh, mm -hmm. rockets and they have a lot of technology uh, related space. And there's also India. Uh, mm -hmm. They are also amazing. If you look um, for the past 50 years, what they have done, it's amazing. They've had a few failures, uh, but uh, they just have to keep pushing. Yeah, yeah, they keep launching. All right. Well, I, I really loved having you as a guest. Uh, it, it has been super educational. I'm sure the <laughs> there are like 15 listeners out there who are experts on ground station operators that, that have run major facilities who are tearing their hair out and being bald like us by the questions that I've asked. But yeah. Yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed it. My guest uh, has been Eldridge DeMello. Uh, how can people get a hold of you if they want to contact you? I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I right. think it's the easiest way to get out of me. So uh, just uh, look for me and I'll be happy to talk to anybody I like uh, communicating. And thanks a lot for having right. me on your show. I'm a big fan and <laughs> I've had a lot of fun talking to you and I hope we can do this again sometime soon. Yeah, I, I look forward to it. Thanks a lot. Hey, this is Jason Canigan, the host of the program. Thanks a lot for listening to the Cold Star Project. If you want me to send you new episodes of the Cold Star Project so that you don't have to go hunting around for them or watching YouTube or anything like that, go to this page, coldstartech.com MSB. That's short for Make Space Boring, which is what we're all about. And uh, drop in your email address there, and I will be able to do that for you. Make Space Boring is another little show that I run. It's a shorter format, quick interviews, and uh, news of the day, and sometimes an update of who I'm meeting and what I'm learning in the space field. It's on the same Cold Star Tech channel. Speaking of which, on the YouTube channel, I can do something I cannot do on the audio-only version, which is add playlists. And so there may be topic area playlists on the YouTube channel that you would be interested in digging into and going down the rabbit hole and learning uh, more about. For example, space law and policy, space situational awareness, the lunar mining and construction and fun stuff like that. So go check that out. Uh, that is at coldstartech.com play. That's the short link to get there. Anyway, thanks for listening and I look forward to talking to you soon.